0: We're going to get on with what God's called us to do, amen? amen? Because this is a critical time in history, critical time in the history of the church. And uh, I really like what Pastor Michael talked about, finishing the race. I was watching, I haven't watched much of the Olympics, but I watched one thing last night we did, which was the 10,000-meter um, the race. I can't imagine that. It's a little over six miles. And they featured one of the runners beforehand, the, the English runner in Um, I watched him because they were talking about him throughout this whole race that went on, I don't remember, 20-some minutes or so. And uh, I was telling my wife, I don't know that I could have run 25 yards at this pace that they ran 10,000 meters. And uh, he was back in the pack, and one of the runners that has won it several times was in front and set the pace, and it looked like there was just no way. But he was pacing himself into just what he was doing, he was making sure he was in the right position so at the right time he was conserving his energy. He knew just how much energy to conserve and just when to make his move. And it, just as they came around that for the last lap and, were, and he was still, still back, he just suddenly turned it on. He and the American that he trained with suddenly turned it on and pulled away. And I just could think about it as Pastor Michael was talking. That's such a vivid example because if you looked at the middle of the race, he was back in the pack. If you looked at just a lap or so to go, he was like fourth or fifth, but he ended up first. So don't measure where you're going to be by where you are now. If you feel as if you're way out front doing great, don't measure where you're going to finish by where you are now. There's still work to do. If you feel like you're back in the pack, don't measure where you are, but don't measure where you'll be by where you are now. It's it's the Bible talks so much about endurance. So much much about he who overcomes. And so, therefore, that means we're in this for the long haul. Is that right? So we need to have endurance. And the key to it is just don't quit. Just don't quit. Don't get discouraged. Don't quit. The, The temptation to do that will come many times. Just don't do it. Pastor Sam used to say what you do is you just tie a knot at the end of the rope. And hang on. (laughs) And God will get you there. Well, that's part of what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your faithfulness to us. And we just trust you today. We may not understand everything that's going on in our lives or around us. We may not like everything that's going on in our lives or around us. But we know this much. You love us. We know this much that Jesus Christ died for us. We know this much that our faith and our confidence is in him. We thank you that you've given us your word. Your word tells us that in the end, if we'll endure, we win. In the end, if we endure, there's an inheritance that's laid up for us. And that we're to take our eyes and and set our eyes not on the things of this world, but to lift our eyes up and set our eyes on the kingdom of God and on the kingdom of heaven. For that is our reward. That is our goal. And we thank you, Father, for the vision that you give us of what is to come and the strength that you give us today to endure and to to persevere. And we just praise you and we thank you for it. We last turn to your word now and trust in the anointing that's upon your word and the anointing that's here today to minister to us exactly what we need to hear. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to continue to talk about God's calling for our life. We started in John 15, verse 16, which Jesus said, You didn't choose me, I chose you, and ordained you that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So what we've talked about is that he chose us. We spent time looking over what it means that he chose us, and we're not even going to go back and look at that. And then we began to look at what did he choose us to do. And we started in Matthew 4 here. We're going to read through this and then look at some other verses here. Matthew 4.18, and Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee. We're looking here at the example or instance of where Jesus actually chose four of his disciples. Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. It's going to become important to us. And he said to them, follow me. And that's what we've spent a few weeks on. It was interesting because when uh, Pastor John Angelina was here and filled in for me two weeks ago, in essence, that's what he talked about, following him. And I didn't tell him what I was teaching, doing with you, and he didn't ask. Though It was the Spirit of God. And I knew he was supposed to be here for that service. Amen. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We've talked about what it means to follow him. And we're not going to go back over all of that. But, but notice what they did. It says, and they immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. And they immediately left their boats, they immediately left their nets, and followed him. We've talked about what it means to follow him, that first of all, it means you leave where you are. You can't follow him and hang on to where you are. And whatever that may mean for you, it may mean, in my case, it meant my job. It may mean family, it may mean relationships, it may mean things in your life. Whatever it is that you've based your life on, that's been based your importance on, that's based your well-being on, that you've relied on, he says, no, in order to follow me, you've got to let go of all of that, and I've got to be your source of all that for you. And we've talked about that before. What we're going to begin to talk about this morning is what is it, He's called us to follow Him to do. Where are we going in following Him? Well, the answer is in this verse, in verse 19. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I mean, where we're headed to is this is still where we're getting into the vision that God's given us. And the vision is to make us into fishers of men. That's the purpose of your life. When, God, when I was saved, I was a lawyer practicing law in Boston in a large firm. One of the first things that God got through to me is my purpose of my life was not to be a lawyer. The purpose of my life was to fulfill his call. The profession of law is what provided the means for taking care of my family at that time, and then God's obviously changed it to do other things. The reason I could let go of that so easily is because I had my mind had become renewed to the fact that that the purpose of my life was not being a lawyer or making money. The purpose of my life was following him. You know, following him meant leaving that and going to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I didn't even know where it was. <laughs> I had the typical Easterner's prejudice. I thought it was somewhere way out west. It was some little hick town somewhere. And when I got out there, I was very amazed and very impressed with what God was actually doing somewhere else besides New England and discovered that that, um, uh, but I did that. I was able to do that. Because I had come to the place in my walk with God where my purpose was to follow him wherever that took me and not hang on to what I knew and what was familiar to me. Now, just because you've done that once doesn't mean it's not a challenge to do it over and over again. And I still today get challenged in that in some areas in my life. But the goal is to make them fishers of men. So he was going to take something that they were familiar with. They understood fishing. That's what they had been raised in a fishing village I'm sure that their father, their father we know was a fisherman. I'm sure their grandfather, their great grandfather. I'm sure there were generations of fishermen that were from their family and that they had, they, they, so they had grown up with this as a tradition. They'd grown up with this as experience. I'm sure even as a small boy that they went out on the boats with their fathers and helped pull in the nets, that they worked on the nets as young boys and young men. So this was something that was instilled in them. And Jesus is trying to get their intention. He says, I'm going to take you from where you are, what you know and where you have been, and I'm going to change you into something that's valuable for the kingdom of God. That's my purpose. Whereas your purpose has been to catch fish for your livelihood, I'm now going to change the purpose of your life into my purpose. And it's to catch men and women. It's to, it's to save souls, to rescue them out of the kingdom of darkness so that I can transfer them into the kingdom of light. And that's what the purpose of our life is. And I was prepared to get into that this morning about being fishers of men. But there were several words that jumped off the page at me. Every word of this Bible is important. And some of the times we miss important things because we we're, we're, we read it too quickly and we, we jump over, and you've heard me talk about this so often, the little words. The little words can be so powerful powerful. If we just spend the time and slow down, it's one of the things that God's done with me through this time of recovering from surgery is to slow me down because there wasn't a whole lot I could do other to sit out on my deck with my Bible and to listen to things and to read my word and, and, and just to, to meditate and to allow God to speak to me and little words. And there's a phrase in here that I was going to just kind of skip over that jumped out at me this day. It says, verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that went off in me. These men had been trained to catch fish. They had tremendous experience in catching fish. And Jesus wanted to use what they were good at, what they were trained in, what they had experience in, but to use it for His purposes. Okay <laughs> Thank you. But to use them for his purposes, so often what we do is, and I'll read something to you a little later on, is we look at people, we look at ourselves, we look at our abilities, and we say, you know I, this would make that person would make a great Christian, or God's obviously going to use my talent and my ability. And Moses is a great example of that. God had called Moses, to be the deliverer of his people from the bondage that was in Egypt, Moses was born with that call and that purpose on his life. God rescued him from from Pharaoh's plan to destroy all the all the young males because Pharaoh knew had heard there was prophecies that there was going to be a deliverer coming. So just as with Jesus, and we've talked this before. Satan tried to destroy his life so that he couldn't God couldn't use him to be the deliverer for the people. And and so and God rescues him, he ends up being becoming the da- the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he is raised in Pharaoh's court. And it dawns on him at some point that he is he knows he's a he's a Jew, he knows he's a Hebrew. First of all because every Jewish male back even back then was circumcised on the 8th day. So he'd been circumcised in the the, 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 the Egyptians were not. Secondly, he was raised by his mother. He was nursed by his natural mother. So he knew he was a Hebrew, and I'm sure the Bible doesn't say so, but I'm sure he must have put two and two together and said, look, I, I know there's a deliverer. God, I've been put in this position of unique opportunity, to, and it's obvious that that's the purpose, that God's put me here, is to deliver. So he's given me all this favor. He's trained me to be Pharaoh's replacement, He was being groomed to be Pharaoh's replacement. So it must have seemed obvious to him, this is how God's going to use me. He's going to take my experience, he's going to take my training, and he's going to use it to deliver his people. So that's where his confidence was. And of course, one day he's out visiting his people. And you know the story, I'm going to shorten it down, but basically the second day he comes back out and and he sees two Hebrews fighting. He tries to break it up. And then they say, you know, are you going to kill us the way you killed the Egyptian guard the day before? And he says, well, I'm here to deliver you, and they're not ready to go. And now he flees. And he ends up out hiding from Pharaoh in the middle of the desert for 40 years. You know, in 40 years you could get discouraged. (laughs) Just might get discouraged once or twice. You might get discouraged in 40 months, 40 weeks, 40 days, 40 hours. When it doesn't seem, not only does it not seem it's going to come to pass, it seems like you go in the other direction, and there's nothing around you that gives you any hope or any evidence that it's going to come about. Oh, this is, I need to hear this this morning. Nothing around you to give you any evidence that it's going to come about or that for, because in his mind he'd blown it in his mind he'd failed he'd squandered the opportunity that he had and he's now out separated from the people he was called to serve in his mind separated from God, no hope just out there thinking he's out there by himself until just the right day See, God knows where you are right now. It may feel to you as if you're out in a wilderness. It may feel to you that God's never going to use you. It may feel to you as if you're never going to get there. It may feel to you as if you've had opportunities and you've squandered them, you've, you've ruined them, you've blown them, and God's done with you because you don't feel His presence anymore. God knows where you are. Psalm 139 is very comforting. It says wherever you go, even if it's down to the gates of hell, His Spirit goes there with you. If you go out into the middle of the ocean, His Spirit's there with you. He's with you, whether you feel Him or not. He knows where you are this morning. He knows what you're going through. He knows what God... He, and, and His call and His purpose for your life has never changed. Amen. But just the right moment, just when He was finished having given up the most... He comes around the corner of this mountain, and there in this mountain he sees a bush that's burning. It's not burning with a natural fire because it's not burning up, but it's burning with the glory of God. And the bush begins to speak to him and gives him his call again. So he thought he was finished, but he was being trained. See, the training that God, what God was going to rely on in Moses was not his education, was not what Pharaoh had given to him. It was not the experiences that he had had. What God was training him on was trusting him in here. Learning to trust him and just not quit. And so he's been trained now by God and now released into his destiny and his call. So here we see Jesus calling these disciples and he's saying them, no, 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 no. I know you know how to catch fish, but you can't just convert that over into catching men. I have to make you into something. And I believe the significance is there's just something in our human nature that wants to help God out. There's something in our human nature that wants to figure out where he wants to get us, where we are now, and what is it I have to do to get there. And I've learned, I can save you a lot of heartache. I've learned that when I get my hands involved in making myself, God sits back and takes his hand off the process and says, go ahead, try it again. Let's see what you think you can do with yourself. And when you're done again, I'm still here and I'll pick up again. So whenever I'm trying to help him out, he stops. See, he won't let you help him out. Jesus didn't say, and and I will help you become fishers of men. Does it? But somehow, that's how we read it. I will make you fishers of men. Now, as I was meditating on this yesterday, it dawned on me, That God, the Father, had to do some work with Jesus to prepare Him to be a fisher of men. (gasps) Jesus had to be prepared. Yeah, it says in Hebrews 5, verse 8 and 9, He learned obedience. Learning means you're in a process of gaining training or discipline or something that you didn't have when you started. But wait a minute, this is Jesus. But understand this, that the second person of the Godhead, the Son of the living God, at the appointed time, the Bible says in John 1.14, became flesh and dwelt among us. So God the Son took on human flesh, just like you and I wear, and walked among us. That means he had to learn how to handle this. He had to learn because he never dealt God. See, God God the Father does not know what it's like to struggle with weakness. He's not weak. God the the Father does not know what it's like to resist temptation because there is none in heaven. The only weaknesses, the only temptation, the only temptation to sin comes at you through your flesh. So when God took on flesh he now took on that means by which temptation can come at him. And Matthew chapter 4 it says once he was filled with the spirit this to me has always been interesting. He's filled with the spirit of the living God and the first thing the holy spirit does is leads him into the wilderness what to get alone and pray? I'm sure he did lead him in the wilderness to pull away from man and become introspective and meditate. No. It says he led him in the wilderness to be tested, the word actually means tested, by the devil. What a strange thing for the Spirit of God to lead the Son. Of, the first thing, before he's released into his ministry, he's tested. Just final exam. What's he being tested with? Disciplining, controlling, and submitting the stuff to the spirit inside of him. So when the pressure was on, he learned how to submit his flesh to the dominance and leadership of the spirit within him. So that in the final test, in the garden on his knees, when every conceivable pressure, demonic force from the pit of hell was, was pressured against him to get him to change his will and, be, and, and and exercise his will contrary to the purpose for which he came. All that training and all that discipline stood him well under all that pressure. We know it was real because in Matthew's account, three times it said he had to go back And recommit himself to that decision that he was going to do his father's will and not his own. So Jesus had to be made into a fisher of men. How much more then do we have to be made? Let's look at another account of this. Let's go, um, well, let's let's look at another principle. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. I just want to show you. And then we'll get into some of how to do this, how he's going to do this Ephesians chapter 2 very familiar verse we're just going to read verse 10 for we are his workmanship now verse 8 says for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself it's a gift of god So we've been saved by His grace. We are His workmanship, not yours, not your spouses, not your parents. They have input. But we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's the calling that we have. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But in order to walk in them, we must recognize we are His workmanship. Philippians 2.13 says, He is at work in us both to will and to do His good pleasure. If you're struggling with your will, turn it over to Him. Let Him work on your will. He can't change it, but He can work on it. Just ask Jonah. You know Jonah? His God called him and said, I've called you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was a very evil city. And I've called you to preach a seven-word message. You know, Get ready, because tomorrow it's all over with, basically. That's not seven words, but the message was, Repent, get your house in order, because it's over with. You're done. You're toast. And when God says, You're done, you're done. He didn't want to go there. We find out later, because he was afraid that if he preached this message and they repented, God might have mercy on them and forgive them, and he didn't want to see them forgiven. So he gets in a boat to go the opposite direction. So he exercises his will against God's will for him. And God doesn't reach down in his heart, flip a switch and change his will. But there's a storm came up and the ships about to go under they're throwing all the goods overboard and they're going to cast lots to find out why the ships in trouble and Jonah comes up on deck and says don't bother casting lots i can tell you why you're in trouble it's cuz i'm on board and it's not just cuz i'm on board i'm running away from god and so they threw him overboard now oh this is good you may feel as if you've been thrown overboard in the middle of a storm. And again, here he is. He's failed God. He's blown his opportunity. He's now ready to change his mind and he's now in the middle of the ocean in a storm at night. But a great fish comes and swallows him up. You may feel like you've been swallowed by a great fish. Now that doesn't appear to be progress here. But keep in mind, in the middle of the ocean, this is the Mediterranean Sea, At night, there are other things in the ocean besides Jonah. And it's dark. Those other things may also want to swallow Jonah, but they may do it piece by piece. So God brings a fish along that swallows him whole. That's God's fish motel. I'm sure to Jonah it looked as if it was even worse now because now he's been devoured by this fish which looks to him as if it's all over with and he doesn't realize this fish has been sent by God for two purposes. One, to protect him. Actually, three purposes. One is to protect him from other things that are out there that wanted to eat him piece by piece. Secondly... It is a place for him to rest during the night, but it's not the (laughs) Ritz-Carlton. It doesn't have room service. It's not air-conditioned. If you read Jonah in there, round chapter 2, he talks about what it was like in there. He's down with the seaweed that's being digested and other things being... So my point is, without going into much graphic detail, is that it was a place of great discomfort while it was taking care of him. And the purpose for that was to is to give him incentive to not want to stay there. <laughs> See, God will work things in your life to rescue you and to teach you, but they may not be the most comfortable place because if it's comfortable, He knows us. Our flesh wants to stay where things are comfortable. We're talking about I will make you. God can't change your will, but he can bring pressure to bear. So in the middle of this fish's belly, somewhere around midnight, so it must have taken him a while to really dawn on him what's going on here, he repents. Interesting, because he calls his circumstances in the King James lying vanities. I mean, it was real. He was really there. So, oh, that's just, that's, just, that's, just a, that's just a wives' tale. No, Jesus talks about it. Jesus talks about Jonah, about being in the belly. And when Jonah repents, the fish not only becomes his motel and his place of pressure, but now becomes his transportation. Because once he repents, the fish turns around and brings him to the place he was supposed to be. And let's put it this way, he expels him. That's not the word the Bible uses. He expels him out on the beach. So he gives him a running start towards Nineveh. (laughs) Now I'm going to tell you something that I'm going to tell you ahead of time. This is not in the Bible. But I've heard some teach who've done research on this. So I'm telling you, I haven't found the research. It's not in the Bible. So don't base your life on it. Don't base your, you know, but understand. but, But I really, it witnesses with me. I mean, he spent this time in the belly of the fish. That's going to affect his clothing. That's going to affect his skin. And he was... Expelled out on the beach, he goes there. So he is bleached out. Somewhere I've read that there had been a, a tradition among the Ninevites that their God, Dothan, was going to come visit them all white. So this prophet of God shows up, clothes bleached out, preaching repentance. And, of course, the story is that they repent. I mention the story because here again is an example of somebody that God, in this case, he was he was fished. Of, <laughs> instead of being a fisher of men, he was caught by a fish. But the point is, <clears throat> he had a call on his life that he was not willing to fulfill. And God didn't quit on him. God was at work around him in his case, both to will and to do his good pleasure. I'm not encouraging being stubborn. don't have to. We tend to do that on our own. But encourage you that God is at work in you. We need to let him work. We've got to recognize that we cannot do this work ourselves. In fact, we really can't even... Contribute very much to it. Well, there's a part we have to play, I'll talk about in a few minutes. See, when we do the work. (laughs) Oh, it's hard not to wonder when I talk about this. When when we do the work, I'm just talking about me. So this doesn't apply to you. You can just look into my life and feel good about yourself. (laughs) But I know with me, and, and this is, you know, some people live most of their life, they don't ever think about what they're doing, right or wrong. They don't even look inside themselves. I've always been very introspective. I've always examined myself and, you know, this right, is this wrong? And, and really early on I was much too introspective, too self-examined, sort of paralyzed me. And that's part of how God has, has worked in me and delivered me and matured me, so I'm learning where that balance is to be willing to, to look inside and see where things are, are and be honest with myself and yet not be tearing everything apart and ripping it all up, the work that God's doing inside of me. So, so, but but what I would do is I would look inside myself and I would look at things and I would work on, I'd make myself a project. I need to work on this area. I know I'm weak in this area. I need to work on this area. And I found when I did that, there was no grace and anointing to do it. I would work on that area and work on that area and just not seem to make any progress. Finally, I'd make a little bit of progress and the next day I'd stumble and fall back, further back than I was when I started working on it to come back. It was just hard work. I wasn't getting anywhere. And I found I spent most of my time in prayer talking to God about how, how hard this area was in my life and how I needed to change in this life in that area of my life, and just you know, and by the time I finished talking to him about that, I had no more confidence to talk to Him. And one day I heard God speak to me so I remember right where I was about 5:30 in the morning in a road where we lived out in the country. And God said to me, "Will you let me be God?" I said, "What do you mean?" He said, you're trying to be me in your life. He says, all the things you're working on are not the things I want to work on. And see, this is my first point. When we work on ourselves, we pick the areas we want worked on. We pick the areas where we've decided I'm willing to have this worked on. And very often, it's so that we can feel good that we're working on ourselves so that we don't have to look at the areas of our life we don't want to work on. I don't want to share this. Matthew 13, I apologize to the translators. I didn't give them this verse, but this is something God's been speaking to me. I think it's in here. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Pastor Ray talked about this last week about sowing seed and the good seed and the bad seed. We're going to look in verse 13. He's just taught them the parable of the sower. Therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear, nor that they understand. In them... The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. And the Lord showed this to me this week. Hearing you will not hear, nor shall you understand. And seeing you will not see, nor perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, and I should heal them or make them whole. I was looking at this in Isaiah where he's quoting from. And it's a verse that's always troubled me. What he's saying here is that my people will see, but they won't understand. They'll hear, but they won't perceive. Because their hearts have become hard and dull. And the answer is at the end of this verse. It says, they, they have closed their eyes so that they don't see with their eyes. They've closed their ears so they don't hear with their ears. Lest they should understand then their heart should turn and I should heal or save them. The Lord spoke to me. says, what this means is that they've purposely closed their eyes so they don't see. And they purposely close their ears so they don't hear because if they see and they hear, they know they'll be accountable to change. It's like a child that's about to be corrected for something. It sits there and goes. They don't want to hear it because if they hear it, now they're going to be responsible to do something about it. So one of the things, I'm just talking about me, One of the things that I've done in the past is make myself busy fixing myself up so that God will be pleased with the work I'm doing, really, so that He won't have the opportunity to speak to me about those areas that He wants to speak to me about. I mean, we can be very tricky. We can be very subtle about especially the inner things. Say, what kind of things would God want to talk to me about that I don't want to talk about? Pride, vanity, the inner attitudes of the heart. They're much more important to God often than the things that we're looking at and saying, well, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing this. The inner attitudes of the heart that are so, so critical, things that separate us from that intimacy with God, that intimacy with the Lord, those are the things that he's after. And it's only when the Holy Spirit begins to shine his light. So I'm learning to let him do that. <laughs> and he is good at that. On the way in today, I we got out on the on the road on the way in and I realized I forgot a handkerchief today. And I know that when it's Wednesday night I, I needed it. So I said to my wife, well, there's time I need to go back. And I didn't tell her this. As I turned the corner to our house, there's a sign there. I don't remember what was in the sign, but God's spoke to me about an attitude in my heart right then. I wasn't asking him. I wasn't in prayer. But see, this, now I'm accountable for that. Now I've got to acknowledge to him, all right, there's something, there's an attitude in me that I didn't see was in there before. There's a reason for something that's... I've been working on it. There's been... Oh, I've been working. There you go. <laughs> There's been a reason for something that's been... That, that's, that's happened and it's, it, that, I, that God's trying to shine a light on because he's trying to bring me up to a place of maturity. He's trying to bring me up to a place of faith. trying to bring me to a place. He's showing my... Why, he's really showing me why something wasn't working. Oh, I don't want to show that. Actually, what he was doing is bringing Wednesday night's message back to me. <laughs> and showing where I'm not doing what I'm preaching. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Because <laughs> you're probably not doing it either. My point is this, very subtle. But when you open yourself up and allow Him to work in you, He is. He's not going to take months to do it. He's not going to take months to do it. Now let's go to Luke chapter... Let's see if that's what's in my notes. Get past true confessions here. Let's go to Luke chapter 5. And what we're going to see is a, a little fuller account of Jesus calling Peter and Andrew and James and John. And I never saw this before. Getting ready yesterday, and something came up, and I needed to take time away from my study and do take my wife somewhere that was very, rather important. And while I'm, we're sitting there, and you know, my mind thinks, "Well, I need to be home studying." The Lord dropped this in me. See, He He'll meet you where you are. Luke chapter five. So it was that a multitude pressed around him to hear the word of God. So he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and had, were washing their nets. Why? Because they fished at nights. Now, the way they fished was they didn't stand on the shore, you know, with a rod and reel or a fly rod or what that. They went out with boats, and they threw nets, and they often had a series of boats, and they would string the nets between the boats, and then they would basically trawl with those nets And then they would come to the end and they would pull the nets up and pull out the fish that they wanted to keep and throw out what they didn't want to keep. And that was the process of fishing that Jesus is referring to there. And so that's what these do. But they do this at at night. So they've been out all night and they've come back and we're going to see they didn't catch anything. So they brought their boats ashore. They pulled the nets out. They washed them. They're cleaning them. And that's when Jesus comes to them. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Oh, that's good. There's good scripture for sitting down to teach. Okay, I feel better now. Okay. And he taught the multitudes from the boat. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, "'Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch.' Now I've heard this taught and I may have taught it myself that he was going to reward them now for the using their boats but what I saw yesterday and that may be true was something far more important. Simon answered because what he's going to do is he's going to begin to make them fishers of men. He's going to train them in something here. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch but Simon answered and said to him master We've toiled all night and caught nothing. So we've, been, we've taken all of our experience, all of our training, and we have caught nothing. In other words, it doesn't make sense to go back out there because we've just come back. There's nothing out there. Not only that, it's daytime. You don't fish at daytime. And after all, you're a carpenter. We're fishermen. But that's not what he says. He says, Master, we've taught, we've caught, been out there all night. We've worked. Oh, look at this. We've worked in our strength, in our experience, in our training, all night, and caught Nothing. Nevertheless, oh, in spite of what our experiences, in spite of all our training, in spite of having just been out there and having caught nothing, nevertheless, at your word, I will go and let down the net. He's training them. And when they'd done this, they caught a great number of fish, so much that their net was breaking. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came and filled both boats, so much that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. In other words, he realized, whoa, wait a minute. This isn't just a good teacher. There's something supernatural going on here. Having given them this object lesson, he said, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they'd taken. Now to impress a fisherman, take something. And so also, verse 10, were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. What I saw here is Jesus' goal is what we see in Matthew. In Matthew, he does it in one verse. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Here, he's already starting that process because what he's doing is he's teaching them the most essential thing that they need to learn. In order to catch God's fish, men, You cannot do it based on your training, based on your experience, and relying on your efforts. Because on their experience, their training, and their efforts, they caught nothing. What he showed them is if you will simply obey my word, if you will do what I tell you to do, when I tell you to do it, you'll find that there's fish there And your job is to catch them. He's training them. Just the same way God wanted to train the children of Israel, we see in Deuteronomy 7 and 8. He said, I had you hunger, not starved to death, but I had you eat manna every day. We talked about this before. He had them all. There was no food out there. So God provided food, which was manna, which was dew that fell in the morning. And they turned that into was dough. They turned that into bread. And they ate that every day. Six days a week they gathered. On the seventh day they couldn't gather because it was the Sabbath. But they gathered twice on the sixth day. We've talked about this. He says in Deuteronomy, I was training you. And what was the lesson he was trying to train them in? That man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by, governs by, is provided for by, is protected by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What did Peter say? Nevertheless, at your Nevertheless, that's your word. Jesus was training them not to rely on their experience, not to rely on their training, not to rely on their understanding, but to rely on His word. And when they relied on His word, He produced a great catch of fish, but they still had to go and haul the fish in. He's training them. He's turning them from... Fishers of men into fishers of fish into fishers of men, and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew nine, we see. Let's go there quickly. There's time. Matthew nine is obviously after he's called them. After he calls them, it says he they went into. Uh, All Galilee. Well, he preaches to them the Sermon on the Mount. And then we see he heals a number of people, preaches some more messages. And then we're going to pick in 935 at the end there. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plenty and the labors are few. Now he's changing the image here from fish to wheat, but it's the same principle. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Now you understand that this gospel was not written in chapters and verses. That the editors, when they put the Bible together, began to put it, break it up into chapters and verses so that I could tell you where to turn. <laughs> so that we can find for reference sake. So what's about to follow is not a new subject. It's a continuation of what's going on at the end of chapter 9. And when he called his disciples to him, verse 1 of chapter 10, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. And when he goes down, he calls, the, names those 12, and then he sends them out. Um, verse 5, let's see. He sends them out. He says, don't go in by way of the Gentiles. He tells them where to go. Verse 8, he says, uh, well, let's go verse 6. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Notice this. Freely you have received, freely give. In other words, what you've learned to do with me, now turn around and begin to give that to others. What you've watched me do, now you go begin to do. He's training them. In other accounts it says he sent them out two by two. Now chapter eleven begins. Now it came to pass when he finished commanding his twelve disciples, they departed there to each teach and preach in their cities. Let's go to Luke nine, verse one. That was the twelve. Here, he called the twelve disciples and gave them power and authority over demons to cure diseases, sent them out to preach to the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Let's go over to verse 10. And the apostles, when they would returned, told him all that they had done, and he took them and went aside privately to a deserted place belonging to the city of Bethsaida. Bethsaida. So he sends them out. This is his training. They've watched him. He's taught them. He prepares them. He sends them out to do what he was doing, and then they come back and give a report. Now let's go to chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others. So this is a larger group now he's training. And he sent them two by two before his face into every city, a place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is great, but the labor is fruit. Therefore, play, few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers of the harvest. And he says, tells them to go. Verse 9, heal the sick. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Notice he sends them out healing. Interesting to go through the gospel and notice every time Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and then talks about healing. He's explaining to them and demonstrating to them what the kingdom of heaven, what the kingdom of God is. His life now let's go over to verse 17 Luke 10:17 and the 70 return with joy saying Lord even the demons are subject to us in your name and that's when he goes on to say that's neat I'm not too impressed with that I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven rejoice instead in this that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life okay. I want to read something to you out of a devotion that I read regularly and then I'll give you some closing comments about what we are to do because there is a role we are to play. This was in um, yesterday's. I read uh, almost every day Oswald Chambers uh, my utmost for his highest. This is August 4th, quoting Luke 18:31. Just listen to this. The bravery of God in trusting us. Ever think about how brave God is to trust you? You say, but he's been unwise to choose me. Because there's nothing in me, I am not of any value. But that's why he chose you. As long as you think there's something in you, God cannot choose you. Because you have ends or purposes of your own to serve. But if you let him bring your end, bring to an end of your self-sufficiency, then he can choose you to go with him to Jerusalem. And that will mean the fulfillment of the purposes which he had, does not discuss with you. We're apt to say that because a man has natural ability, therefore he will make a good Christian. It's not a question of your equipment, but of your poverty, of our poverty. Not, not, you're not, not financial poverty, poverty what we can do. It's not what we bring with us, but what God puts into us. It's not a question of our natural virtues, of strength, of character, of knowledge, or experience. All that is of no avail in this matter. The only thing that avails is that we're taken up into the big compelling of God and made his comrades. The comradeship or fellowship of God is made, up, made out of men who know their weaknesses, he can do nothing with the man who thinks he is of use to God. As Christians, we are not out for our own cause at all. We are out for the cause of God, which can never be our cause. We do not know what God is after, but we have to obtain, maintain our relationship with Him no matter what happens. We must never allow anything to injure our relationship with God. If it gets injured, we must take the time to put it right. The main thing about Christianity is not the work that we do, but the relationship we maintain and the atmosphere produced by that relationship. That's all that God asks us to look after. And the one thing that is being continually attacked is our trusting in Him. A couple of final comments here. Does that mean, therefore, that while God's at work, I just, you know, pack my suitcase and... Go to Florida and sit on the beach? Well, we might want to do that in this time of year. Does that mean I just you know, go do what I want to do while God's having this work in me and when he's done, he's just going to let me know? Well, obviously, no, that's not true. There's a part that we have to play. The first thing is, notice He, God's not going to start a project in you and then wait six months or six years to get involved with it. God wants to work in you all the time to produce his will and to change you into what he's called you to be. So, he will use situations in your life. So the first thing we need to learn to do in order to allow God to work in our lives is to obey him. (laughs) It's amazing how often it comes back to that. Just do what he says do. I mean, after all, that's what got us all in trouble to begin with, wasn't it? It was because Adam didn't do what he was told to do. All this we deal with, all was caused because one man just did not obey God. That's it that simple. In in Romans chapter 5, it talks about the, the, the example of Adam's sin. See, Adam's sin was different than Eve's. Eve gave in to a temptation. Adam purposely disobeyed a known command. He rebelled against God by disobeying a known command. So, so often... What things come down to is just obeying God, doing what He said. So when God speaks to you about something, if you want to grow in Him and allow Him to work in you, you do what He says to do. Sometimes it's a little thing. It's like smiling at somebody. Just somebody you want, and it may be somebody you don't like. He may tell you to go do something nice for somebody that's done something bad for you. I mean, Jesus tells us to do that in the Sermon on the Mount. Whatever it is in the situation, what He's showing you to do, or what you know this Word says to do, if you will do that, then then you will take a further step down the road of God's working in you. But if all you do is sit in class and hear the instructions, but you don't do the homework, if you just attend class and you hear the lessons, but you don't do the homework... You don't pass, do you? I mean, in many courses, you don't pass if you don't attend the classes, but just attending the classes does not make you graduate. You actually have to do the homework, turn it in, and pass the homework and the test. So if you're just listening and you're not doing, you're like a student sitting in class who doesn't do the homework and doesn't take the test. You'll stay there. And you'll have to go through it again and again and again. Alright. So we've not we need to do what it is, because those are object lessons that he wants to use to strengthen you, to develop you, to show you things you haven't seen before, to give you understanding. Second thing is we need to continue to seek him. To seek our relationship with him. I just read this from Oswald Chambers. You need to continue to draw near to him. That means spend time in prayer. Whatever that means for you, wherever you are in your prayer life, just continue to do it. Continue to draw near to him. Don't quit in it. Don't get discouraged in it. And the third thing, which really, this is all real simple stuff, is what Romans twelve two is all about. You are transformed, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about being transformed, being changed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That's getting into God's Word, finding out who God is from His Word, finding out what God has done for you through His Word, finding out what God has called you to do through His Word, and then begin to meditate on that, think on that, speak that out. It's what I talked about Wednesday night, until that becomes so real in you that it begins to work in you. The Word of God is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God Under salvation. And the more you put that word in, the more you meditate on that word, the more you're eating on, you're consuming the power of God to change you, to transform you. But that comes as we change how we think. And we change how we think by reading how God thinks in here and then making that how we think. Ephesians 4.23 says that we are renewed or changed as we're renewed by the renew the spirit of our mind. So Jesus comes to us and he says to you, come, follow me. The neat thing is it's a personal call. It's not a mass call. It's a personal call. If we had the time this morning and we could pass the microphone around and we had you share individual testimonies of how you came to Christ, I suspect strongly that for each person in here we would have a different story, a different testimony, because he knew you. He knew how to find you. He knew where to find you, just as he knew where to find Peter and Andrew and James and John and what they would be doing when he found them. But when he found them, he called them to follow him personally, not to join an organization, not to help him start a movement, but to follow him in a personal relationship with him. And he says, if you do that, here's my goal. I'm going to change you. I'm going to be at work in you, changing you. You've tried to change yourself. You've tried to improve yourself. You've tried to make yourself something. I'm now going to be at work in you to change you. And here's what I want to change you into. I want to take what you've done before and I want to change you into fishers of men. I want you to lift your vision up off of these scaly things that you've been catching and that have been the center of your life. And I want to lift your vision, vision up to see what I see. That what matters to me is what matters to you. What touches me is what touches you. The story we read, Jesus looked out over the city of Jerusalem and he was moved with compassion. For he saw them as sheep scattered without a shepherd. And he saw them as lost. He saw the lost. Understand today, while we're sitting in this nice, semi-comfortable air conditioning on a hot Sunday morning, that there are literally millions of people out there in the greater Providence area that are out there lost. And many of them don't even know they're lost. They're just bumping along in life, having no idea that this day is one step closer to an eternity in a horrible, eternal place called hell. That they're lost. They're separated from God. They're in this world without any hope. And they don't know it. And the Word of God teaches us that the heart of God breaks for them, longs for them, yearns for them, feels what they're going through just as He feels what you and I are going through. His heart is, is, is not complete until He has them. And you and I are here because he's called us to not stay where we are, but to become sensitive in the world and where God's placed us. In your office, in your assembly line, out and working in somebody's yard or somebody's house. He's placed you in a place where he wants you to become sensitive to what he's sensitive to, the people that are around you, and where they are, and the opportunities that he may give you to begin to put a net out see he's got to, he produces that but you got to take we got to put the net out and bring them in but it starts by learning to see what he sees when you see what he sees you'll feel what he feels and when you feel what he feels you'll want to do what he wants to do he can't reach them but his heart longs for them he hears their cry at night The cry, not even with their voice, but the inner cry of their heart, of loneliness, of hurting, of helplessness. He hears that cry of every one of them, and he's moved with compassion for them. And you and I and many others have been called for such a time as this to go and cast the net out that he may bring that harvest in. And that's what the vision for this church is, and that's what we're going to begin to get into next time.